Hello, may I welcome you to episode 59 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career within the industry six years ago after leaving the corporate rat race. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give starting out again, his predictions for the next five years, and what he does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end moving matters with a funny moving story regarding a stressful incident involving bugs. My guest this episode is Adam Mayton, owner and founder of WeMove. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Adam. Welcome to Moving Matters. Afternoon, Colin. How are we doing today? Very well, thank you. Very well. And you? Yeah, good. Can you tell everybody about yourself and the length of time in the industry? Yes. So, yeah, full name, Adam Mayton, based down in the sunny south coast in Bournemouth. I'm the owner and founder of WeMove. Been in the industry six years now. I used to work in the corporate world, very exciting industry of uh, risk management. Um, so I did that for, for eight years for a local company called LV. And yeah, I managed to escape when I was 28. Yeah, I can see you sort of smiling there. Like, have you ever worked in the financial services? No, thank no, you. No. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I did eight years on, on the proverbial rat race, and uh, and yeah, I managed to escape just you know just before I turned thirty and enter the you know the the sexy world of removals and storage. So, how did you get started in the industry? So, what made you leave that job? Yeah, I mean, what made me leave it? I think I always knew that I wanted to to, to run a business. So, you know, from about the age of eighteen, I've always been a big reader, and I read a lot of business based books. I started on, you know, what you'd consider soft stuff like Richard Branson's autobiography. So, I think it was always in my mind, but I'd always have the same you know question that people would say you know i would say i'm going to start a business they said what are you going to do i said well i don't know yet but when i do you know i'll start it and that was always a problem i you know had this sort of almost like i had to have this like totally unique new product or service i could go on dragon's den and say hey no one's doing this and this is going to be the you know the, the the next big thing and so for years i kind of you know on the side would read and listen to podcasts and read books on business but, but yeah i worked in in risk management and it used to investigate money laundering and anti-corruption and bribery. Did you investigate the removal industry? <laughs> no, but I, you know, retrospectively, I would. And we'll probably come to that later when you ask me, you know, what I would change about the industry. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't say I hated it, but I certainly wasn't content. And so when I was 28, I took um, a career break and I moved to China. You know, that's that's how yeah, that's how much I hated it. To be fair, I moved you know to the other side of the world. This was pre-COVID, obviously. Wow, that was a big move. Not more difficult now. Yeah, I wanted to. Like, I had a mortgage. I owned a property with a good friend of mine, and. I needed to still have some income. So I, I literally decided I wanted to get out of the corporate world. And, and so I sat down one Friday and Googled, you know, how I could travel and still earn. And, and the idea of TEFL come up, which is to teach English as a foreign language. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool. I could do that. You know, I could go in a classroom. And I, I was always okay with entertaining kids and my niece and nephew. So I went the next weekend and I did a weekend course in Southampton, a practical and a theory course. And then, and then yeah, started looking at places around the world where I could teach. 
Wow, and China. And China, yeah. It just, do you know what? It seemed like, and a lot of people say that, like, you know, a lot of people, if I'm honest, say, why, why on earth did you pick China? I think that's, you know, probably ironically the reason why I did, because it, it seems like such a challenge. Um, you know, there's probably a lot more of a stigma attached to it now off the back of COVID. But even pre-COVID, people look at China and see it as this quite scary place. And it was, it was terrifying. I think I've always been an individual who likes a challenge. And in that respect, I felt like, you know, keeping in Europe would be too safe. If I went to somewhere like Thailand, it would be too familiar because they very, very westernized these places. And I felt like China would be almost like the biggest challenge. And when I landed on that plane all on my own and there was chickens in the street and, you know, no one spoke a word of, (laughs) no one spoke a word of English. And I had to like navigate this very sort of like surreal place. You know, it was kind of like equally exciting and, 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 petrifying if i'm honest so how long were you in china for so i was there for a year and i remember about two weeks in speaking to my friend who who lived and emigrated to oz and messaging her and saying look i'm going to come and work in a call center and just live in oz it seems much more comfortable and uh and i didn't and i yeah i think i vastly underestimated how difficult it would be to teach i thought it would just be you know a picture of a cat and i'd go cat meow and uh <laughs> and it wasn't you know i had you know on my first day this like, like what's your lesson plan i said what do you mean lesson plan um and i was you know, I was overwhelmed but but I, I got my head down and and i really enjoyed the challenge actually of becoming a half decent teacher but i was there a year but at that point i i, I reconnected with with an ex-girlfriend and, and decided to come back and i, I very much missed my friends and family so yeah, so I came back after a year. Oh, see, that's what love does. That's what love does. Brought you back to the UK. I know, we're no longer together. So, uh, you know, <laughs> don't want to talk about it. Well, moving swiftly on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can you tell everybody about your company yeah. and the services it offers? I will, and I feel like I probably didn't necessarily, I went on a curveball there, but what led me to, to starting WeMove. So I came back and, you know, at this point, bear in mind, I'm in my early 30s and I'd gone from in a series of years from having, a, you know, whilst I didn't enjoy it, a decent corporate job where I was able to buy a house and I had a nice car and I was comfortable to then going on this exciting adventure in China and then coming back and being, I'd taken redundancy then, the end of my career break. I think they knew that having traveled for a year, I wasn't going to be the same worker. So they offered me redundancy. And I found myself, you know, early 30s, then being at the other end of the spectrum and laboring on a building site where I had no technical skills. So I was the, the lowest paid there. And then uh, one day by by chance, someone needed to get some bits moved from their garden on one of the sites we were working on. And one of the lads said, oh, my mate's got a man and van. He'll, he'll come and do it. Be about 200 quid. And then, you know, the foreman said, oh, yeah, that's fine. Get him in tomorrow. And then I turned around to lad. I said, oh, so what's he doing? And he's just got, what, like a van and he just, you know, moves bits around. He said, yeah, he said, it's easy. He said, he's like charges, you know, X amount, 50 quid an hour or whatever. Um, he said, he, he does really well from it. And I sort of, you know, I, I found myself stood there, you know, in the wet and the mud and digging for what was it? I think it was literally about 50 quid a day. It was terrible. And I thought, well, why don't I just do that for a little bit until I work out what I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to do with my life. And so I went home and I went into my mum and dad and I said, oh, I'm going to start a man and van. And they said, oh, all right, Adam, a bit like they did when I said, oh, I'm moving to China. They said, that's, you know, that's, that's good, dear. Um, and about three days later, I went out for my old man and we went to Southampton and bought a, like a, a, I think it was a Sprinter type van, you know, a Renault. And, um, and I bought that. And then the next week started my, my sort of man and van journey, if you will, with no, no previous experience. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, where to advertise. And I hadn't run a business really. So I didn't know, you know, anything about a business. So it was kind of, uh, ironically, it was only ever, uh, never in my mind did it, did I think that it would be 
something that I would, you know, go on to do long term. It was just a, a means to an end, maybe for three, six months until I decided what I want to do. And it kind of grew from there, I guess. So that's the longer short story of how I ended up in the industry. So can you tell everybody about your company and the services it offers? I can, yeah. So we do a full removal service. We do packing uh, and we do some storage. We run a series of Luton vans that are three and a half ton, like low loader vans based down uh, behind Castle Point, as I say, in Bournemouth. Um, we currently run four three and a half ton Lutons. We've got a transit connect that we use for estimating. We've got a team of seven employees, including myself, my operations manager, and then we have five full-time employees. In terms of where we operate, so we're based in Bournemouth, but we started Bournemouth Pool Christchurch. And I think I realized once I start to understand the industry and understand, you know, but more so the, the seasonality of it, then we, we branched out into further areas. A couple of years ago, I launched virtual sites in Southampton and Salisbury. What I found quite quickly with the industry is that, you know, and I say this quite often when, when anyone asks now about how you survive, and I, and I really truly believe in this industry, you only survive by your ability to expand and contract. I think if, you, if you're unable yeah. to do that, then not only will you likely not survive, but if you do survive, then you probably won't make any money because you're going to do one of two things. You're going to grow too big and have too many, too big an FTE and, and staff base. And, and, and when it dips and, and we know it dips. Too many overheads. Winter, too many overheads, yeah. And you're going to hemorrhage money. Albeit in the summer, you'll think you're, you know, you're God's gift and you've got all these guys out and you know, you're the greatest removal company on earth. But then that's quickly going to fold. Um, you know, in the, in the winter when it becomes quieter. So, you know, in that respect, we use a number of contractors often that work for other companies. Um, it's quite common in this industry now. A lot of people have become almost self-employed. I think that's an issue in some respects because some companies have people that are self-employed that are working for them full-time, which is obviously, you know, not something they should be doing. But there's actually a number of really good removal contractors in, in the area that we're able to use for a number of different companies, you know, when we're busy. So you run the four three-and-a-half tonners. Mm-hmm. Any aspirations for a big truck? A big truck? No, we've looked at it. We've 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 analysed it. And I know this is a real sore subject, you know, for for some in the industry. And I, I can understand why. I understand the regulations. I understand, uh, you know, the laws are around weight and what you can carry and what you can yep. do. We tend to do a lot more. We don't do international moves. So uh, I think the red tape for me personally was pretty extensive even before Brexit, and even more so now. Some people I talk to, um, yep. I worried slightly about the margins on that. So we've never done international. And we, if I'm quite honest, we don't do. An abundance of long distance moves, and mainly again because it's purely not economical. If you've got 1400 cube to take from Bournemouth to, to Newcastle, um, you know, running three vans versus you know, running one truck is not often economical. Yeah. So, in that respect, we don't do too many of them. The reason why, for me, purely access in and around living in, although Bournemouth's not a city, it's so big, it's so small, it's so tight, access is an absolute nightmare sometimes, even for the three and a half tons, is difficult. Either cost and availability is a huge issue in the industry because of the issues with pricing um, and and the fact that it is a little bit sometimes a a race to the bottom in this industry. Being able to have good drivers available when you're competing with someone like Tesco's on a HGV driver is is very difficult. You know, we've had people leave us that have been HGV drivers, but obviously just driving the three and a half tons, getting offered 20, 25 pounds to go and drive a HGV for Tesco or something. And do the, the driving without the, you know, without having to actually move anything. They just drive the truck and someone else loads it and unloads it. I mean, it's a, a bit of a no-brainer. So finding staff, and I so often see companies locally that drive the bigger trucks, recruiting for, for HGV drivers and that. So that's, you know, another reason why, you know, we've just decided not to do it that way. I, I think the last reason would be 
again for the size of the company we're we're, we're particularly lean as we are and i'm you know for, for the margins that we can achieve with our size um no real great aspirations to grow you know much bigger than we are um and i think you know having one truck versus several um you can be yeah. a lot more dynamic so you yeah. know i often say to people i know people that run just two trucks and really you can do you know two jobs whereas we found and the data for us suggests that actually if we had four jobs on that are one van that would be much more profitable than one big job with all four vans at so again yeah, yeah. i would suggest that if we had one big truck actually what you can get for that you get almost like the customer expects an economy of scale with one Luton van might own us 600 quid in a day yeah. on, a, on a one bedroom two bedroom bungalow if we send four out to a four bedroom house we're not getting two four for that yeah exactly any day we're getting 15 1600 quid on a good day yeah. So actually, you know, that's a that's another reason purely from a like profitability purpose for, for us personally. So what challenges have you had to overcome then, Adam? I would say when I when I started out, a lack of industry knowledge. That was hard coming into an, an industry. I think a lot of people in removals take a natural progression from being a porter or a driver and then they think the grass is greener and they see, you know, they see these bosses, you know, with a slightly nicer car than them and, you know, and, uh, and then they think, oh, I can go out and do that. And fair play, some of them go on to build great businesses. But for me coming in, um, that was a real challenge I found to not know about the industry and to be able to, you know, to be able to learn quickly and efficiently. And I think I did have some help in that respect so we talked to you know we talked briefly before this about my mentor which was brian maidman obviously he's fairly well known in the industry that owned maidman's removals and he was great and i was able to sit with him and ask questions and that but outside that what i found is and i don't know whether this is the same for a lot of businesses a lot of trades and industries but this almost silo mentality where people want to work on their own and they don't want to collaborate and they don't want to open up and share experiences and i think I've now gone the opposite way with that. And maybe that's as a result of feeling quite almost like frustrated with the fact that no one would help me that I tried to talk to. And I'm, I'm, I'm honestly the opposite now. And um, if anyone comes to me and they're starting in removals, um, I've had a few people that are just starting out and they say, oh, can I come and sit and have a chat? And I will tell them anything. And I'm not going to sit and tell them exactly how to run their business, but I will say, what do you need help with? And we'll talk through it. And I can offer suggestions on whether it's marketing or sales or what vehicles to run or you know how to find work. Or And I'm happy to help people. So I think that was a, that was a real challenge at the start though. Yeah, I mean, what works for you might not work for somebody else. But being there and giving some advice is down to them to take that advice then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. It was never about sort of trying to find the answers, but sometimes it was it was just trying to connect with other like like minded individuals, people like in a yeah. in a business, in the same industry, and obviously grow my knowledge in the industry. Because I think sometimes people are quite ignorant and they presume because it's an unskilled trade that there's not a lot to it. And it's simple and it's just I mean, maybe perhaps I thought that in the start, right? There was an almost like a blissful ignorance that I could just go out and buy a van and me and my brother would just take on the world one bedroom flat at a time. And obviously it wasn't the case. We had a lot of challenges. The other challenge I faced, which probably ties in with that, it's just how the industry is 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 staffing. Yeah. And um, when I say staffing is, as I started to understand, it's such a unique business from a staffing perspective, because you have weekly challenges. And the weekly challenge, right, is that we all know is that everyone wants to bloody move on a Friday. <laughs> it's like being a gardener, you know, having several clients and they all want their gardens done. But everyone going, no, I can only have my garden done on a Friday. That's the day I like my garden to look its best. And then you have the monthly challenges, which is estate agents wanting to hit their targets, solicitors wanting to bank their money at a certain time which tends to be towards the end of the month so we get that latter 10 days of the month so you have a a week and a month challenge and then of course you have the yearly challenge which is the seasonality of it everyone seems to want to move in the summer 
I still can't make sense of it because it's stressful enough as it is. And then people are even more stressed because their kids are off. And I'm like, why didn't you move when the kids were not off? And I think it would make so much sense. But I think, again, a lot of that is driven by obviously the catchment need. I mean, I don't have children myself, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm ignorant to it, but I think that's a big bit. But yeah, again, you know, we very, we can see it year on year when we look at our cash flow forecast is so predictable when obviously it was massively skewed by the COVID time with the stamp duty freeze. But outside of that, you know, the data is very easy to, to analyze because it's so consistent. So the challenge was trying to be able to work out, you know, week on week, month on month, year on year, like how many staff do we actually need? Because it's, it is like boom or bust massively. Yeah, that was a huge challenge. Even daily, because it's not a nine to five job, is it? We don't start at nine every day and we don't finish at five every day. No, exactly that. And it's one of the first things we say when you're in the interview of like, have you got any hobbies? And actually, maybe that's probably ties in slightly with me and, and having a real the importance of a positive culture in, in, in WeMove is, is so important to me. And we do, we ask that sort of question when, when we're in the interview, like what are your hobbies and interests? And, and often that's not just because it's a question that seems nice to ask and be friendly. We're, we're trying to understand the individual and, and, and we'll have that conversation. They'll say, oh, well, I, you know, I play amateur or semi-pro football. Okay, do you train to what night? We train on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay, well, here's the potential issue. You know, if you're working, you've got a potential key weight. That might be an issue because it, you aren't just going to be able to down tools like you would on site if you're an electrician. That's not a big yeah. electricians. I've got a few electrician friends, but yeah, they, would, you know, they don't work past four, I don't think. But yeah, like, you're not going to be able to do that. And, and if you are, you know, and, and whilst we'll then, at least we know we've got one of our guys that plays tennis, for example. And at least we know, okay, on Tuesday he plays tennis, so let's try and not put him on the long distance one on a Tuesday. But like you said, yeah, even on a daily basis, it's we did some trade assist yesterday at nine to one. Lovely. Should have seen the smiles on their faces when they come home. It was wet and windy. <laughs> wet and windy. And they were going home to play, you know, Call of Duty or whatever they do online. They were absolutely buzzing. So yeah, so you, you are right, Colin, on a daily basis. And that's, that's a real challenge. But I don't think that's something you can be stressed about or whinge about because those things aren't going to change. People are always going to want to move on a Friday. It's always going to be yeah. more busy in summer. Um, and in terms of controlling the controllables, that was quite a big challenge to understand and to, to navigate in the first few years. And I, I'm not saying now by any means we've got that lockdown and I'm great at it, but we, we certainly are a lot better at it. If you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? I think that I would probably have started our own storage um so we currently um sub storage if for example hypothetically you were a moving customer of ours and you needed storage then we would take on you know i use the word burden but take on the responsibility basically of finding you the storage the right size and negotiating the rate with the storage company and we would take that on for you but obviously what that means is the primary money then is going to a storage company whilst we might make a percentage on that it's very small and for a few years you know i looked at sites and you know, I spent a lot of time analyzing, you know, containerized storage versus created storage versus self-storage. And I think it was difficult. And I'm often critical of myself very much so. And I, and I could sit here and say, oh, you know, I was stupid for having not done it sooner. But on the, to a certain extent, I would argue had I shifted focus to that, um, I would have taken my eye off the ball with removals. And if you think I've been in the industry six years, the first year was, as I say, a man and van, and there was no real drive or focus on doing much with it because it was a side project so then I only really had a few years in the actual removals industry before COVID struck which was one thing and then the stamp duty which was just a mad couple of years especially being down here in Bournemouth where the the market was so buoyant house prices were flying up and everyone was moving there was no real headspace for anything but 
doing as many moves as we can, getting as much money in the bank as we can, capitalizing on that market because the old adage of make hay where the sun shines was, was very relevant then. But I guess in hindsight, when I think about that question, I think, ah, if I could have put a stake in the ground and probably spent less time worrying about what type of storage and doing some type of storage on our own, instead of a you know, 10, 15, 20% markup, we would be getting the whole lot. So that's probably it. Is it something you want to get into? Yeah, I think it. I think it is. It's a. It's a. The commercial property market at the moment is dead down here. There's not a lot available. I think if I if I were to go into it, my my long term plan would be more um, rather than leasing a site would be uh, to own a site and have total control over my costings as a long term strategy. When I when I think about you know my retirement plan, that fits in a lot better than the option of a lease. Uh, but obviously with that, you know, when, when you look at commercial properties, not only is there not a lot available at the moment, people are holding on to those assets. You're looking at a, a 30, 35%. And that was before the rates went up deposit on a commercial property. So, you know, huge yeah. dumps of capital required, which behind the scenes has, has been one, you know, thing that I've been okay. Well, we'll sit on any money we have got. And now we, we come into, you know, a potential downturn in the removals market. And I have a bit more, you know, headspace to be able to look at other options. I think it's, it's something definitely that over the next six to 12 months, I'll be looking further into. I mean, I can't sit here and say it's a regret and then not do something about it, hey? Because I would be a shocking business. Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your high point of being within the industry? I would say our high point is probably when we were ranked first on the tender list for the whole of the Bournemouth Pool and Christchurch Council contract. Really? Yeah, that was that was about two years in, and at that point, it was you know it was a huge thing to to take on. I can't even remember how how we saw the the tender up, and I remember seeing it and thinking, well, we could go for it, but we haven't got a chance. And then I downloaded the documentation for it, and I thought even more so, we haven't got a chance because it was huge amounts of hoops to jump through, and quality assessments, and and proof of liquidity of the company, and you know, and I knew from conversations I had had with peers in the industry that you know there's some big players that go for these contracts because it's great fill-in work right council you know council work and some people have their own opinions of working for the council from a financial sense but from my perspective it would be great fill-in work and when we talk about the issue with everyone wanting to move on a friday what better to get a secure contract where they were flexible and they could move on you know your tuesdays and wednesdays so anyway so we we, i filled in the paperwork and, and i think it took about a month i'm lucky in that respect obviously i did I'd done eight years in financial services, so I was used to filling in <laughs> monotonous paperwork. And, and my my right hand lady, who's, who's called Helen, who's our operations manager, did thirty five years in financial services. So between us, you know, we were fine. But it just it felt like, well, we're going to do this, and they're still going to look at you know us and go, you know, who are you? We move. And I remember I was out on a job myself, and we pulled up in the services to get some food. And, you know, as you do, I, you know, I straight on my emails, like, what have I missed? What's been going on? And, you know, we got the, the tender response outcome and, you know, and there was five placements and, you know, we were placed in first. And just, I remember sort of almost being in disbelief, you know, at that point that we had done it, you know, and there were some big names on there. Yeah. And it felt like a, a real achievement, I think, at the time. And it still does. And we had to go to retender last year and we come out first again, but it was less of a success in some respects because we had already achieved it. And ironically, I've had to resubmit prices this morning. By the time this goes live, we'll probably be ranked fourth or something. Uh, no, <laughs> we'd, yeah, we'd have been chucked out. Uh, you know. That's awesome stuff, though. That's absolutely awesome. It's such a short space of time. To have achieved that two years in, you know, and as I say, and gone from knowing nothing about the industry to being able to prove that we were very capable enough of looking after all of the, the housing association moves for the whole of Bournemouth, Paul and Christchurch, 
was a huge achievement. It wasn't something that I, you know, looked on lightly. And, and now, it, uh, even more so in retrospect, I look back and think, yeah, you know, that that was awesome. And, I, and I'm proud of that. And, I'm pr- and, and that's, you know, not just proud of myself for that. I'm proud of Helen who did it with me and then proud of the whole team, right? Because to a certain extent, to have proved that we were good enough and a lot of it was 60% was based on quality, you know, all of that was taken into account what what the team had done. There's one thing, the proof of financials and proof of trading, but actually the proof that we would deliver quality services and, and the quality of our service wouldn't drop no matter whether you're moving someone via the council or like a business owner or a, a residential customer. But the hard work that the team had put in up until that point allowed me to have an abundance of evidence to, to, to say to the council, hey, look, this is my team. This is how good we are. This is how hard they've worked to get us to what I considered to be the best reviewed and best ranked company in the area give us a shot and they did so yeah it was, a, it was a, a massive team effort in that respect you know and we sort of shared in the success absolutely awesome brilliant stuff well done adam well done thank you what one thing would you change within the moving industry so <laughs> i would say sore subject for me but what i consider and i don't say this lightly but VAT fraud sounds like quite a heavy thing to say on a podcast like this, but I think it is an issue. And I think there's not many platforms at which you could share an opinion on something that does affect the movers and stores that are trying to do the right thing. But there simply isn't anyone, you know, there's such a small percentage of, of companies in this industry, like paying their VAT. And it's, and I look at it and I look at the, I look at the companies and it's very easy to know if someone's VAT registered or not. And there's such a, there's such a small number of them doing it and we're talking about like operators with you know two three four trucks four five six different men day in day out year on year year out and when you look at the actual figures involved i mean the current threshold's eighty five thousand, right so if you break that down and you know this is when i when i sort of talk about this to other trades and i tend to have the conversations with other trades but it's never an issue because obviously they've got the they've got the huge cost of materials so it makes sense for most other trades to to register for yeah. VAT. but in our industry yeah. If you break that down to a weekly level, it's about 1,750 quid um, a week in revenue, right? When I sit there and I'm like always trying to convince myself that I'm not completely mad, am I? So these companies running, you know, free trucks and, you know, they've got an office and they've got four or five staff and they've got themselves as own operators and maybe even someone in the office. And I'm like, so what you, you guys are sharing out 1,750 quid, not only between you six members of staff, but that's also then going to include your costs of running the van that week, the fuel, the office space, your advertising. It's sheer madness, right? That's that's two half decent moves in a in a seven day week, um, and they go over the threshold. And I just, you know, when I when I look every time I get a VAT bill, I've got no problem with paying my taxes and doing the right thing. But I, but I find it hard. I guess I find it hard that it's so easy for companies to to be turning over what will be probably 150, 200, 250,000 and, and not have to collect twenty percent of it on behalf of the government. But isn't that because the removal industry? is quite easy for cash payment potentially yeah i think that's that's a huge part of it and, it, and you know what it will be interesting to see colin actually how that differs now given that cash is so unfamiliar right the lady asked me yesterday in aldi cash or card and i said oh what's cash and she laughed and she goes oh yeah that weird paper stuff and i said yeah and said, you don't see it do you and, and i think there's you know there's a, there's a big shift away from and i know people a little bit tinfoil, but people believe the government want to get rid of cash. And obviously that would be to monopolize and to tax us further. But, but I think there's less cash being talked about and being used. And I can't remember the last time I had any cash that I just went out and, and used. So I think there will be a shift away from that. But I, but I'm not, I don't think you're wrong there. I think what, you, what you've said is exactly right. It's, um, you know, people are negotiating cash payments. But I just think in terms of being a level playing field, 
I, I just think it's, uh, you know, to have to collect 20% on top of your price is not a level playing field. And it's, I think it's an issue in this industry. And I know they've talked about the chance that it was a year, year or two ago, you know, said about potentially reducing the, the VAT threshold down to about sort of 20, 25,000 pounds, which I think is not a bad idea because VAT was only ever introduced to help out the threshold, to help out like, you know, mom and pop, um, like lemonade stalls, if you will. Um, not for companies with fixed staff and that. So we'll see. It, it is a bugbear and, and, you know, and I'm not, like you can tell, like it's, I guess it's frustrating, but, but you can imagine so when you, when you see operators of similar sizes and you, and you think, right, well, every time the VAT man comes collecting and you know, we pay out you know, tens of thousands of pounds, why, why it might frustrate me at, the, you know, at those points. Well, absolutely. Even at the figures that you mentioned, it works out to be approximately 330, 350 quid a day. If you're running more than two vehicles, you can't tell me you're not earning more than 350 quid a day for those two vehicles. They're not going to earn you 175 quid each. No, exactly. That. And, you know, and I'm not asking for much in terms of, it, you know, it would just make it all consistent. If they, if they drew it across the line or they, they reduce the threshold down, everyone would be the same. Yeah. So it's ultimately, it's a, you know, it's a taxpayer who's going to pay that amount, but it's just about consistency. And I don't know how some would argue I probably should stick to my knitting, but like, I don't, I can, I don't understand <laughs> how it can become so easy to do and i remember the the, the conversation and we were like year, year and a half in i think something like that i think our first year we turned over thirty-two thousand, and uh, we're about a year and a half in and the accountant said look you're going to come we were on the flat rate for a while that's right we were on the flat rate scheme. Yep. and he said right i think you're going to need to potentially register for for vat like what do you want to do i said well do i want to do it no do we have to do it yeah we do you know i'm not going to put this glass ceiling of eighty-five thousand pounds on my company for sales because yeah. that would be fine if it was just me and i was able to do moves on my own and i had one van potentially that would work from an economical perspective but it simply doesn't if we had any ambition to and at that point we you know i think we had two vans a sprinter and a three and a half ton at that point i said if we've got any ambition to be any more than that then we just have to do it Hmm. And that's what we did. So yeah, that would be the one thing I, I think it is, as I say, in this industry in particular, because of the our main overhead is our staff. Often it's not the materials, other than on a pack. Whereas a carpenter might do a roof, and it might be twenty thousand pounds worth of labour, but yeah. sixty thousand pounds worth of materials, of which they would then save the twenty percent on. Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry again? I think, I think it's easy to say now. That I am in this position, but uh, but uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is to to potentially be bolder, to be braver, perhaps maybe being cautious in some respects. And you know, and when I look at our like sales trajectory and our growth, you know, from a staff perspective, van perspective, the sales we did, you know, have been on a, an upward trajectory, but a, a safe one. But I but I would look back now, and maybe it's just with the confidence I have now, six years in, and it's easy for me to say I should have been bolder and should have been braver. But I feel like we could have probably achieved some of the successes slightly quicker which is ironic given that a couple of questions ago obviously we took on that bcp contract after (laughs) after after two years but i think potentially i could have been bolder i think we could have grown quicker had i sooner learned to leverage capital which i don't think we were you know was something that i had no experience with and no one sat down and said to me hey like you're not going to get rich unless you've got debt and that's a really true saying you know to, to a certain extent like if i was able to leverage capital and like we we bought each year we, we bought a van and, and that was bought on cash, you know, so yep. to literally, you know, cash in the bank. And that was the only way I knew. I was like, well, we do some work, we, we save as much as we can, we'd be as lean as we can. And when we've got enough money, we'll buy another van and do that. Not knowing that actually once we had a little bit of money, I probably could have leveraged credit, had the second van and supercharged that growth. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah. I think retrospectively, and, and anyone that comes to me now, you know, I would say the same thing. And obviously, if they're in a different industry, that advice might not always might not always work. But but we are, you know, when I look at it now, even though we're not in this same growth phase as we were then, like the, the my understanding of leveraging capital, not just for this business, but for other bits that I'm working on outside of this you know, the importance of being able to do that and know, you know, the difference between good and bad debt. So that was a, that was a real learning curve and would have been useful to know sooner on, I would say. So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? Let's talk about yourself first, Adam. Myself. Five years is an interesting window, I'd say, Colin. If that question was, do you see yourself in removals forever? I would probably say no. My nature generally is to, like, I need to be challenged. I need to be tested. I think I'm a creator. If I look at my personality type, I'm a creator. I'm someone that likes to create. And that's everything I work on within the business. When I'm creating, I'm at my best. And I think to a certain extent, is like I said, where we're not in a, in a growth phase now, it's almost, you could argue, business as usual, although I am spending a lot of my time now planning for a potential downturn. I would argue if you're not growing or changing, then, then at that point, I'll probably become less challenged and less motivated and i feel like at some point in the future i'll probably want to do something else and create something else and create something new because my passion is is very much business development i'd have a particular passion for removals of boxes or sexy vans with blue and pink fonts that's not what gets me out of bed every morning but it's the, the ability to to create and create something from nothing in the next five years though i think that the challenge for the next two years given what's going on you know in the industry with interest rates and that and i'm not you know going to sit here and start dwelling and moaning about a potential recession because down here in the south we are in a bit of a bubble but it's certainly there's after what's been such a fruitful market i would be naive to not sit and concentrate on that and i think there's going to be a massive supply and demand shift and by that i mean we've had a couple of years where like i just said it's been very fruitful with the stamp duty freeze it was such a you know it was such a seller's market it was there were so many people moving that you know the demand was high and as such you know like that balance of supply and demand has shifted and when i look at when i started out i did a complete analysis of all the companies in the area and i remember there was about four or five on checker trade and straight away i, I realized that that was a great place for us to start let's go on checker trade you only need to look at how many listings are in the area and see that there's going to be enough we're going to be able to get on there and get work uh, and i looked about six months ago i think when our renewal come up and i thought oh, i wonder how many companies are on there and it was something like 18 you know so we're talking about another additional 13 companies yeah. and that that of course is is you know the basics of economics and supply and demand that the demand went up and so the supply went up and i think now as we see that demand come back down as as the market cools and rates go up and you know, there's a, there's a lot less activity in the market. I think there's going to be a lot of companies potentially in, in trouble, you know, and, and going out of business unless they, you know, unless they plan, you know, or they, they adjust or overcome. And I think, you know, when we talk about five years, and this might not cover the whole five years, but certainly for the next few years, I think I'm going to be mindful of that. And it's going to be a different, it's going to be different trading conditions than, than I've been used to in the last few years. And I know it's going to sound mad, but I don't know. I feel excited about it, you know, and it's, it's completely backwards. And Helen, I think in the office thinks I'm bonkers, but do you know what? <laughs> it probably, I think it probably ties in with what I said a few minutes ago about my, 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 you know, and I talked about it when I went to China, the challenge, and I talk about, will I be in the industry forever? Probably not because I enjoy the challenge. You know, that's, that's a recurring theme you see. And if nothing else, whilst I want it to be busy and we make loads of money and retire on a yacht somewhere the early fifties, um, I'm in dream mode, but I think actually, <laughs> you know, if there's a downturn market, 
is a challenge, right? Something for me to get up, yeah. get up for. You know, there's yeah. that drives motivations, motivations for me, my team. When I look at my team now and we talk about the cost of living crisis, I, like I worry about it. I worry about my team a lot and making sure that they're, you know, making sure that they're earning the right amounts and they're taken home and they're able to provide for themselves and their, their family. And that's, that's a, a real, what a great driver to get me out and to get me finding more work and, and making sure that the company's performing as best it can. For the business or for the industry as a whole, I think we'll see, I think we're quite behind this, but I think there's going to be, you know, a shift towards what options are sustainable. I think at the moment we're, we're not there and it's, it's, it's a huge buzzword, isn't it? And it's, and it's huge in a lot of industries. Like being sustainable. You only need to watch, you know, I watch Dragon's Den as a, as a businessman. I, I love that show. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great show. And I sit and watch that and every, you know, there's nothing, you can't bring a business to the dragons unless it's they've got an eye on the sustainability side i think for the removals industry we're a bit behind in that and i say that totally in keeping with that i'm not sitting there saying i'm everyone's behind me you know we could definitely do more but i think at some point the industry will have to catch up and say right okay well what are we going to do and we're we're far off the affordability of, of electric trucks but there's things we can do and i think there's things we can be mindful of and i think that'll play start to play more of a part in, in consumer decisions. So if the consumer is going to decide that that's important, then the industry naturally has to, to realign, right? Oh, most definitely. As you say, it's a massive word, regardless of what industry you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just huge, 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 huge. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's how I see, you know, from the industry perspective, I think that's going to be really big over the next sort of five years. I have a very quick question about something you mentioned, mm-hmm. checker trade. Yeah, check a trade, far away. So as it went from a small number to 18 or whatever, were these new companies or were they well-established companies decided to jump on the check of trade bandwagon? New companies. I could name you at least a handful of new companies that weren't around when we started. Um, and as I said, I was, you know, I'm very analytical and I, and I don't leave any stone unturned. And when I started this business, I literally had this huge spreadsheet of every company I could find in the area. And it broke it down into, you know, what was their website? Was it any good? What were their weaknesses? Yeah. I got quotes on them. So I, I found out how much they cost. Yeah. Literally everything. So I had every bit of data. So I knew every company in the area before I even started. And when I look at it now, and I, and I say this to Helen, I'm like, what's crazy is that you can't sit there and say, oh, this X, Y, and Z are new companies, but remember A, B, and C went out of business. Like most of the companies, yeah. I could name you, I think one company, I don't even know if they went out of business. I think they just, they sold to someone else. Every company that was operating is still operating and all of these new ones are new, yeah. uh, which is incredible really when I, when I look at it and look at you know, the, the amount of competition out there now. And, I, and I, I'm not really, I don't obsess too much about the competition or amount of competition. But I sure as hell know there's a lot more of it. So what do you do outside of the business to switch off? So I'm busy with the business, to be honest. Like I I work a lot and I'm not one of these workaholics. I I tend to, I've got a lot better at, used to be, you know, six, seven days a week. And I've got a lot better at at trying to shut off and, you know, enjoy my downtime and separate myself from the business. And I train in the gym every day, which I'm always conscious when I say it, it sounds excessive. People that are with an interest in PT and that will probably say I'm overtraining, but it's the only way I found as I've meandered through life and and in mental health. And when I 
when I say that, you say mental health nowadays, everyone presumes that means you've got mental health issues, but actually, <laughs> the health of my mind, right? You know, that when I refer to mental health, I, I genuinely mean the health of my mind. And I found Absolutely. that the more I can, I can keep that on track is, is to exercise every day. And that can be a gym session. I play football twice a week. Uh, my younger brother climbs, so sometimes I could go to the indoor climbing place with him. I do boxing and Thai boxing. So I would say, you know, that's a huge part of my outside of, of work is, is exercise. Physical activity, I would say. Physical activity, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but no, I, I love it. And it, I think the difference between before and after a workout is, is quite incredible. You know, I, I purposely yeah. found time today to go to the gym before I log on with you and have this chat because it's quite a shift in how my mind thinks and works, you know, before and after a good workout. So that's really important to me. Um, I'm an AFC Bournemouth fan, so I'm at, you know, all the home games. And I, I love an away day, I must say, Colin. You know, if I can Apart get- from when you went to Leeds. Uh, well, yeah, apart from when I went to Leeds. And I luckily, I, didn't, I did have a ticket for that game and I'm glad I got rid of it because it's heartbreaking. I mean, two in a row. We, we, I was at the Tottenham game where, you know, we were 2-0 up and went on to lose 3-2. And then, yeah, and then 3-1 up and to lose 4-3 to Leeds is, is, is terrible, really. But the season as a whole, we're, we're doing okay. Right? We're outside the relegation zone. Only just now, but, you know, we're outside of that. But yeah, that keeps me pretty busy. And finally... I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? Funny moving story. I mean, I think in terms of removal story and, and probably my most anecdotal story, I don't know, to be honest, Colin, if it's funny or I can never decide, you know, retrospectively if it's, if it's funny or it's, um, I can feel the stress in me building as I even <laughs> tell you about it. Uh, but we had, we, we had an incident give or take about a year ago and we we got uh we got asked to to quote um obviously we have a premier league side down here um and you know there are premier league moves available it's something we never talk about we've never named names and we never promote on our socials i know some firms are big and they like to talk about when they move a footballer or a celebrity and i'm kind of the total opposite i believe in the utmost privacy i also believe you know just on a side note from a consumer perspective i can never understand that why anyone would make a buying decision based on the fact that that company had once moved a celebrity. I don't see why that would factor in. If anything, I'd think it'd be the opposite. They'd think, well, they must be expensive. And for that reason, we just always keep it quiet. But we got, uh, we'd moved a few footballers and this was a Premier League footballer and we got invited to, to quote and move this house, um, which is over Sandbanks Way, as you can imagine. You know, that's the that's yeah. place to live if you're in the area. All seemed well. I went and it did a estimate and, and looked around the look around the property and did a quote and put the quote in, got accepted, no problem at all. We booked the date. So for all intents and purposes, it was gonna be a fairly straightforward move uh, into storage and then you know up to London direction. And anyway, so we went in on the day. I was on the pack that day. I went along because you know, obviously a lot of nice stuff and I wanted to oversee it. I think we had a four person team there for the, for the pack. And, and anyway, and I was in the, this sort of almost like cinema room, which also had trophies and, and match balls and that. So I'm carefully uh, export wrapping up these bits. And then one of my colleagues come in and she's, she said, Oh, I've got an issue. And I said, oh, what's, what's the matter? She said, Oh, there's some, uh, there's some bugs in the kitchen. Well, okay. That's not that much of an issue. Let's come and look. And, you know, it's a bit disgusting and, you know, sorry, but you know, if you hope they're not on you. I said, let me come and look. I said, it doesn't sound like that bad. And she said, no, it's, she said, they're everywhere. I said, let me come and look there. So I went in and you know, went in the kitchen and had a look around and she opened the cupboard and in that cupboard, they were everywhere. And I was like, oh God, I mean, you know, maybe there must've been some food. And what had transpired is that, you know, this, this player had, had gone to another club and, 
and up to the left and he had been outside the property, which I didn't know at the time of quoting. It wasn't relevant that he hadn't been there for a while. And so I look at this cupboard and I think, okay, well, it must have been some, you know, maybe some food left open and the bugs have formed and that's not so much an issue. And then she said, yeah, but no, come and look around the kitchen with me. So we start looking around the kitchen. Oh, dear. And these, these things were like everywhere. And then I said, okay, so they're in the kitchen. And at this point, I start thinking, well, this is not something that's happened in the last few days. And again, because I didn't have the knowledge that this player had left, it turned out it was actually about six months earlier. So, so we start looking around and I won't lie to you, they were everywhere. And, and I don't just mean in the kitchen, they were in the lounge, they were on the sofas. No way. Farewell. They were upstairs, they were in the bath, they were on beds. And it had obviously been months. And these, these little creepy crawlies, and we didn't know what they were, were just, just completely covered the house. So obviously to protect the staff, I said, right, down tools, get out, leave everything here, like get your jackets, leave all the materials here. We went out rang the agent and I said, yeah, we've got, a bit of a, we've got a bit of a problem. We're in this house and we're packing up. And it was a really tight timeline. I know he had to be out by, it was a busy, it was like in the middle of summer and had to be out by the, the Friday. And this was like the Monday or Tuesday. I said, we've got a bit of a problem here. I said, this house is contaminated. I said, it needs to be completely fumigated. I said, because we can't go in there. I said, these bugs, they're going to be, it's going into storage. So number one, oh my word. we don't want his yep. stuff in storage covered in bugs. Number two, the storage company, you don't want his stuff with bugs in it going into storage so the agent said right we'll get someone in we'll get someone in this afternoon and, and found someone about an hour later who could come in and fumigate it i said that's all well and good but we're in the middle of a busy summer i said and they said well, you're going to have to come back tomorrow and move there i said that's fine in paper i said but we had four people there today just to do the pack so you want us back tomorrow we've got to do the whole pack and the move into storage in one day i said we don't need four people we need about eight or nine i said so obviously number one you've got to pay for today because everyone said yep. it's today, we've not done any work. So you've got to forfeit that whole. I said, now you've got to pay for tomorrow, which is not just the same cost again. We've got to have twice as many people. So that's going to be this cost. And I'm trying to negotiate with this agent who's having to go back to the player who's in training. So very serious conversations on, you know, on this one. <laughs> and uh, I said, but let me, let me tell you, I said, if we come back in tomorrow and we're going to turn up here with eight or nine people to do this huge, it was like two and a half thousand cubic pack and move in a day. I said, let me tell you, if there's any bugs still alive in here, we're going to have to down tools because I'm not being particular in this scenario. I said, it's a, it's a complete health and safety nightmare for me, my staff and for the storage place. And they said, no, it's going to get fumigated. We're going to be fine. Be here tomorrow at eight o'clock and it will all be good and ready to go and you can do the move. Fine. I said, As you can imagine, the next few hours with me desperately trying to move around staff and, and get in you know, contractors and bring other companies say, we need people and we need to make this move happen, please. And so we did. And we rocked up and there was eight or nine of us outside. And I explained the situation and said, right, we had bugs in there yesterday, but don't worry. It's been fumigated. It's all gone. We've got a lot of work to do. We get in, we get our heads down, but let me go in first of all, and just make sure that all the bugs have been dead. So what do you think happened, Colin? They were all dead lying on the floor waiting for you to hoover them up. That would have been probably at that point, I would have taken that as the best case scenario. I walked in and I reckon within a minute, I'd found 10, 20, 30 bugs. What had transpired is with the short time frame, they hadn't fumigated it at all. Someone had come in and bless her. And it was actually one of the lovely estate agents that we, that we often work with. And she'd come in on her own and had to try and clean this property and get it to a fit state. That it Not a be, proper fumigation proper company. Fumigation, which apparently couldn't be turned around the same day, you know. Oh, my word. And I said, I said, I'm so sorry. And I rang the agent. I said, 
we're leaving. I said, I, I said, I'm not being, you know, this isn't about money. This isn't me trying to be awkward. I said, the bugs are still here. They're live. They're, they're everywhere. They're still in all the places. And uh, yeah, and I said, we're leaving. You should have seen the guys the smile on their faces because they would get paid for the day because there was no work. So all of them are literally quarter of an hour into their shift, absolutely buzzing. They all jumped in a van. You hear the yippies, you know. They all there was no, you know, there was no looking back. They shot off down the road, um, you know, to stamp, stamp their time cards for a full day um, and go off. I was mortified because I knew then now we had a problem where they were going to still want us to move them. I couldn't see that we could fit them in in the rest of the week. So it was, I was going to have to turn around and say, sorry, we've taken at this point, I think it was about £5,000 for the two days. Wow. Not actually done anything, but yeah. we can't now help you. We can't do anything else. We, we it's not your fault. It's not my fault, but it was a terribly awkward conversation to have with this agent and this you know, premiership footballer. And we did, and we went back um, and, and eventually they were able to get a bit of leeway with the completion. And on the Friday, we came back in and packed and moved it on the Friday and Saturday put it into storage and it had been fumigated and it was fine but just the stress of those few days of dealing with that and again it was such an unusual scenario right you get cancellations where you get issues with exchange and completion you know and you're used to dealing with that and we have it very clear in our terms and conditions that the customer signs you know what will happen but that sort of scenario like freak scenario and what it transpired is that this player had literally got a call to join another club gone up to the club and, and literally just down tools left it was like macbooks like just like half open like it was like not even finished that session on on the emails and there was stuff in the dishwasher food the cupboards are packed of food and it, it turned out to be i think flower mites so from from oh a, wow a, yeah yeah and these things are just te- like they had had like it was like the you know just a free airbnb for them they spent the whole summer there just you know <laughs> just exploring the house so yeah it was crazy and i think it you know ended up costing him the best part of 12 and a half k uh, with then the you know the move on the Friday and Saturday and then a the move out of storage, but as I said, totally out of our hands and just a totally unique, bizarre and downright stressful situation. To be honest with you, just goes to show that Premiership footballers are paid far too much. How can you just down tools and ditch your home for six months? It is completely crazy, isn't it? Bonkers. Yeah, but but ironically, you know, I'll be careful what I say, but I know from the guys who delivered it a few months later out of storage to a storage site up in London. And the, the player was there then because he needed to get some of his boots and, and he was having a right old moan about how much he'd had to spend. Like it was our folks, they come back and said, oh, you weren't best happy. I said, I'll tell you what, I wasn't happy. You know, I wasn't happy of having to, to deal with it all. And as I said, it was never about money, but it was about the fact that we couldn't, we couldn't do our job through no fault of our own. But it was just a, like I said, it was just such a unique scenario and we always sort of you know we, we sort of think of that now and it's stress funny. levels through the roof yeah and it's just funny i'm sat in the pub or whatever with my mates and he's playing on the tv and he scores a goal and i think mate do you know what i mean what <laughs> i went through for you eh uh you can look back on it with a smile now absolutely yeah adam many thanks for giving up your time this afternoon to record an episode of moving matters with me i truly appreciate it no problem at all colin thank you so much for having me on it's been a pleasure to chat with you Thank you very much. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 59 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice. And please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Adam Mayton of WeMove for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Adam. 
If you would like to know more about WeMove and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Bye.